0: Welcome to Coaching from the Sofa. I'm Shane Lord. I'm Rob Harvey. Episode seven. Let's go. What was it like getting that call, Thomas? For you, when the phone rings and and it's Liverpool in the end of the phone?
1: I won't really pick Messi or Ronaldo because because I'm I'm perhaps coaching them in the future.
2: Okay, who's got the longest throw at Liverpool? And who would you say is the best thrower technically?
1: I hope this uh, this podcast here can can really bring inspiration to many other people out there. So thank you for inviting me.
0: So we've got so much to talk about with our guests this week. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to get them straight in. So our guest this week is Thomas Gronemark. Thomas is a Danish coach who coaches in a small niche that is often forgotten about, throw-ins. Thomas' success has led him to be Liverpool's current throwing coach, having also worked with Ajax and Midtjylland. And many other teams in Denmark. Thomas was also the world record holder for the longest throw-in at 51.33 metres. So welcome Thomas, thank you for joining us on Coaching from the Sofa. It's an absolute pleasure for us to have you here and talk to you. Your name is actually mentioned on our previous coaching course, we discussed throw-ins, so you are definitely making a difference to the game all around the world.
1: But you know, it's actually been totally exploding, uh, you know, because the last month I've been giving 57 uh, webinars, podcasts, live interviews and so, and it's from all over the world. It's Asia, Africa, Europe, uh, South America, States, Canada. So I think that, that people have slowly realized how much uh, throw-ins are meaning uh, in football. So, uh, of course, I'm really happy for that. So.
0: How have you found uh, lockdown and how's life been in Denmark? Uh, Is everything good?
1: Yeah, you can say that there's not much work for me at the moment because, you know, most teams have either not started training or they are in in like really physical training right now, not really having space for my coaching or they are all started playing now, but with like like two games per week. Uh, schedule so normally when I'm coaching my throw-ins, I have a full week. Not because I'm coaching five days in a row, but more because it's like a game in the weekend and then a game in the weekend. So I think that I'll I'll like resume my my training itself in when we're coming to the preseason and so in in the different leagues and that will be very different from from country to country. So regarding the throw uh, the coronavirus and. But, but it's okay for me. I'll, I'll probably do a lot of um, throw-in analysis on video for, uh, for the clubs too. And then I'm just relaxing here in Denmark with my family. And um, yeah, so uh, it's pretty cool. I can, I can write a lot on, on my throw-in book. I've been writing like 100 pages or so, so. So that's also one of my big dreams in the future to help not only professional coaches and teams, but also coaches all around the world.
0: Well, we'll definitely be looking for that when it comes out, and it'll yeah. be on the wish list. So as soon as it's released, you'll have to uh, yeah. let us know.
1: Yeah, definitely. But so
2: Thomas, how did you end up in a, as a as a football coach? Like, what was your? Can you walk us through your career?
1: Yeah, I have a little, little bit of a different car- career. You can say that. I've been playing football myself uh, in the highest U19 league in Denmark and uh, I had like two kinds of superpowers that first one was I was really fast never been uh, losing a run running duel in my entire life and then I was really good at throw-ins because I've been seeing my 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 cousins spent and Johnny make long throw-ins when I was a kid so I did it myself as a teenager so I had like like two super strengths. But even though I played in the highest Danish U19 league, also played against fantastic players like Thomas Gravesen, for example, who later played for Celtic and Real Madrid. Um, then I wasn't good enough to be a pro player. So um, I thought, hey, I might as well change sports. So I went to athletics uh, running 100, 200, 400 meters and, and relays. And already the first year I was training uh, in the mid-90s, I came on the Danish national team in athletics. Uh, and I had six uh, pretty good years there with uh, several Danish championships, but also the best result was in 2000 in in, um, in Paris, where we uh, won the European Championship in the 400-meter relay. I ran the last leg, so uh, it was European Championship for club teams. So, um, so, but again... Wow, uh, how incredible. Oh, what was
0: your time? Can you remember, Thomas?
1: Oh, I can't really remember. I can just remember I ran the last leg on <laughs> 47.3 or something like that. So that was okay. So wow. <laughs> ass, bro. Uh, Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fastest I have been running. But in relays it sometimes gets a little bit, you know, uh, tactical. When do you because uh, yeah, yeah. So um but in 2002, I was still like pretty successful in in athletics because I've been setting personal records on 100 and 200 meters. But I had been moving to the western part of Denmark, to a small town because I've been I met my wife, and sometimes you do crazy things because of love. So um, <laughs> I was suddenly training alone. I was suddenly training alone, uh, and even though I I set personal records on 100 and 200 meters, it was. Turning into just numbers on a paper. So, I missed the team sport I uh, like. I like I had in football. So, in two thousand and two, I changed sport to another team sport, and that was uh, bobsleighing. I came on the Danish national bobsleigh team, and I was uh, on that team for, from two thousand and two to 2006. and and six. And our goal was to qualify for the Olympics in two thousand and six. And we were traveling all around the world, and uh, all Europe, uh, Canada and the States and then it was in the middle of that box period in 2004 where I got the idea hey if I can make um, a good throw in myself can't I teach other players to do it so that was really like the start of my um, throwing coaching career uh, in 2004.
3: Thomas, you probably didn't get much time to play other sports, but one sport that I thought you might have been involved with handball. It's a very popular sport in Denmark, I understand.
1: Yeah, I haven't really been playing handball, but I've seen a lot of handball, first of all, because you see it a lot in the telly here in, in Denmark, both with men and women. They're really like uh, Olympic champions and so, both teams. Um, but my son has always been, uh, has also been playing handball for many years. but. But I'm, I'm more taking things like uh, things like, like the basketball game into my throwing coaching. I've been playing a lot of basketball myself, uh, only one year in a club, but, but uh, for many years, uh, I've been playing street basketball, and, and it's a lot of these like movements and uh, space creating things that I've been taking into my throwing coaching. And, and you know, the first years uh, from 2004, it was only the long throwing I coached in 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 the clubs in Denmark uh, but in two thousand and eight, I suddenly saw that my when I was analyzing a game, I saw that w- one of my teams was losing the ball in the middle of the pitch, and I thought, hey, that was pretty bad and, and and then they lost one again and the next one again, and then I was just totally in shock because I thought it was only amateur and and, and new teams who were losing the ball so much after a the throw <laughs> then i I started to analyze and 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 my conclusions was that most teams, when they have a throw-in under pressure, where the players are marked, uh, they're, they're losing the ball in more than 50% of the occasion. And then I thought, hey, I have to do something about that, because I knew that, the, you know, the long throw-ins, yeah, you can be really successful with them, uh, if you're looking at um, direct throws against the, the opponent's goal. But but I just realized that with, with my long fast and clever throw-in philosophy it was about all teams in in the football world because it was the throw-ins all over the pitch and it they were really important no matter what kind of playing style you had so so back again to your question uh, um I've been taking, of course, using my own football skills. I've been taking a lot of things from athletics. I've been taking a lot of things from from bobsleigh, like video analysis. We did several thousand video analysis of our bobsleigh start every season. Also had like the innovative approach. We had that really much on the bobsleigh team. But been taking really a lot of things from from uh, from basketball too, with space creation, uh, how to use blocks, different kinds of things. So so. Um, I try, you know, every day to to um, to learn from other, not only other sports, but also other people. But sometimes also like see a piece of art in a museum, and and suddenly there's painted like a curve or something like that, and then I I can see that that's like a football yeah. pitch, and this movement would actually create some kind of space. So you know, I'm I'm thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking actually about throwing say, I've been thinking about throwings every day for the last 16 years. I'm thinking about throwings every hour. Uh, of course, I have other things in my life too, but 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 I really try to improve every day. So um, yeah. Oh, great attitude. See,
0: so what's so good about that is we we keep having the same conversation on here that um, as you know, coaches never stop learning, do they? You've got to be prepared to always learn, and if you can take just a glimmer of something um, from from another area and bring it into the game. That learning process—it's only ever going to improve everyone involved.
1: Yeah, and, and I, th- I think you're totally right. For me, it's, it's a lot about like opening up, uh, taking inspiration, try to do it, uh, and then when you uh, have done it, then then open up again for new things. So. Uh, it's a little bit of it. Of course, it's really difficult to be open like hundred percent of, of the time because you have to try to to see if it works. And so, but 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 can you open, open close, open close, open close all the time? You know, um, and then then I think you 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 will not only be a better coach, but you will also have a, a fantastic life with a lot of uh, you know fantastic things, experiencing new things, and so so. Um, I really like that. Definitely.
2: So as you set a, a world record throwing at 51 metres and 33 centimetres. Has this distance kind of increased over time? Have you kind of analysed yourself to improve your own throwing?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I set the world record in, in 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 2010. It was June. I'll also le- say now that it's just been beaten here in, in 2019 by an American guy called Michael Luce. And actually, I've been talking with Michael and his father, and so he's a young guy. 23 years old and i'm really proud of him uh, really proud to give give that gift of having a world record or pass it on to a, to another person but but again i um, in 2008 i've been a throwing coach for four years and and often when people are the world's best they're, they're starting then to coach others but i did the opposite i started by coaching others for four years and then suddenly one day in 2008 i thought hey It could be pretty cool to have the world's longest throwing when you're throwing coach. Why not? I could throw like 40, 42 meters, and that's really far because uh, normal football players, if they throw 30 or or 35, it's really, really far. So 40, 42, that's really long. But the challenge was that the world record was 48.17 set by Mike Lochner from the States in 1998, so 10 years old at that time. Um, my challenge was that I, I, I was pretty strong, but I, I also had a pretty good technique because I like, was analyzing myself. So I knew I, I, the only way I could, could beat the world record was by doing a flip throw-in. And if, if people out there don't know what a flip throwing is, it's you're taking a run-in, jumping down on the ball, making a flip, land on your feet and then throw the ball. So, but the only challenge was that, uh, first of all, I was a non-gymnast, I couldn't really even make a small top, and then for many years I've been weighing approximately 100 kilos, so I tried it, you know, the first time, it looked pretty, it looked quite easy when I saw that little girl in the blue dress on YouTube do it, Um but I just totally landed, landed on my back, so I had to get your help, so. I had help from from three different gymnast coaches, and the last gymnast coach was the national gymnast coach from from Denmark, a guy called Ferenc, and um, I think that's really important if you want to achieve something that you're getting help. I don't think you you can't get enough help, no matter if you're a football coach or for anything else in life. So just open up and and admit that you're perhaps not the best, or you can be even better. So. But I got a lot of help. I didn't meant that I had a world record attempt in the, in the match between uh, Denmark and Spain in 2008 at full national, national stadium. I didn't beat the world record there. I threw approximately 44 meters. Then I had a world record attempt in, in 2009. It was in the match between Hertha Berlin and Wolfsburg in the Olympic Stadium in Berlin with uh, 40,000 spectators. The only challenge was that it was raining. And I had to uh, make a run in on the athletics track, and it was like slippery, like ice. I didn't beat the world record there, uh, mm-hmm. but then in to- 2010 I, I beat the official King's world record with a throw of uh, 51.33 meters, and uh, it was on a girls' football school, so a little bit more hum- humble surroundings. Mm-hmm. Um, but but of course it was fantastic. It's been meaning a lot to me, not only as a personal achievement, but but also you know, with the media and everything. And it's, it's been also been, been bringing me forward as a throwing coach because you know, you know it yourself that, that uh, if, if you have sev- several angles to a good uh, story, then it's easier to write. So it's been helping me a lot, the, the, the world record. So, um, yeah.
3: Thomas, you mentioned the uh, flip throwing. I don't know if you saw it at the 2018 World Cup. An Iran player tried to do it. And he made a complete hash of it in the last minute of the game. I don't know
1: if you remember that. Yeah, I remember that. And now I'm going to. When you hear this story here, you'll probably think like me, there is more, more in this earth than we, on this earth, that we really know. Yes, I saw the World Cup, the guy from Iran, who uh, he was really like struggling. And and of of course I could see it was it was a little bit funny too, um, but a lot of journalists they called me after after the World Cup or or just after this game and and they asked for my opinion, and then um, then I said yeah I could see it was funny it was funny situation but I actually think that the guy here was really. You know, he had a lot of courage to do that. Just the one minute before the World Cup game was finished. It was an
3: important game as well, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: really, like, but he couldn't really follow through. So, so I actually, like, said he was, I think it was a fantastic thing to try to do, even though he failed totally. But then the funny thing was that uh, the last two seasons I've been coaching Gent from Belgium. And, um... That's um, the head coach is called Jes Torp and and he, he all, I was also coaching uh, with him in FC Midtjylland in Denmark, and then here uh, what was it August nineteen or September nineteen? Can't really remember, but then I talked with Jes, and then he said, "Hey, we 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 are signing with a new uh, with a new uh, left fullback. It's a guy called Millet." I said, "Millet, what?" Uh, isn't that the guy from iran yes it is he said so no it was, of course totally even though i'm not coaching even though i'm not coaching the flip throw in for other football players i'm only coaching with normal running i just thought it was totally cool so yeah. the funny thing is that you can if you're going to my twitter account and then you are rolling back to january 2020 you can see that i'm coaching me in the flip throw in in um in, in, uh, in the training camp in Oliva in Spain and you can actually see that uh, Millet is doing uh, the, the flip throw in the right way like, like he should have been doing oh, what a fantastic oh, story yeah I think so, so That's you know, sometimes you wonder that you know this guy even though I know he's a pro football player he's on on the other side of the world and then suddenly you're coaching him after like so um, but you can find that on my on my Twitter story well, there. certainly have a look yeah yeah, but I'll say yeah, definitely look that. Yeah, but I'll say in general that that I, I won't really recommend flip throw-ins in 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 football. Of course, they are totally entertaining, and that's also the reason why I had the chance to to do uh, I think uh, world record attempts in like big stadiums like like these myself. But often flip throw-ins are unprecise. They're also often too high. So if we're talking about the long throw-in, I'll I'll prefer to. To have a long throw-in with a normal run-in and then flat and hard because they're much more dangerous. So, um, but I think yeah, it was a good story.
2: Just on just on the um, on your throw-ins there and then the technique. So, what what would you say is the kind of a technical element that makes up your perfect throw?
1: Yeah, again, I'll I'll, and it's important for me to say that that uh, long throw-ins are only a small thing on my long, fast, and clever throwing philosophy. Perhaps we'll come into that later, but. When I'm coaching the long throw-in, it's only long throw-in technique. And um, most players are improving between 5 and 10 meters, some up to 15 meters. I had a young guy from from FC Midtjylland, Andreas Paulsen, who started up with 24.25 meters, and then he improved to 37.90, so 13 meters and 65. Mm. That's only technique, it's no weight training. but the way I'm doing it, I'm having uh, approximately 30 different technical parameters. And then I'm using video analysis too. It's not like in the first session I'm learning them 30 different things. But I'm I'm learning the players like seven, eight technical new things. And then it's really personal from the player to player what kind of kind of um, thing he or she has to improve. Then if I have to, <clears throat> of course I can't go all into my secrets, but I, if I have to... Put these 30 different technical parameters into three main subjects then i'll say the first thing is to to have a good power position on the line so when you're standing on the line if we are like freezing the frame here when you're standing just behind the line it's it's really important to have a good position with 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 a lot of uh, power from the hip raised chest uh, the right distance between the feet, the right grip, and so on. So that's really important. That's the power position. Uh, it's li- really like you—you have to have a feeling like you're shooting with a bow. That—that's that power in the position. Then I'm working with the running. We really like to have um, a good running with the right pace, but also running where you're not jumping too much. There are different types of running and, and different ways and drills to like really. Uh, perfect that and then the last thing is to have some power uh, forward energy you have to like um, pull your energy uh, through the line when you're doing the throwing so it's a lot about, la- about the position with your hips and and when to throw and a lot of things so that's the the three main subjects i'm covering and of course there are a lot of small and individual things there so but again most players i'm proving between <clears throat> five and ten meters uh, some up to uh, some up to 15 meters so uh, yeah you talk about
0: distance there thomas would you say most of the power comes from your hips is that where most of the power for a phone is generated
1: yeah you can say if you're if you only say one you know uh, point on the body where the power comes from then i'll then then i'll say the hip but 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 you can't just only say the hip because if you're only focusing on the hip then you'll lose the power from all the other places so so and then if i have to go like like the physical uh, building of, of the thrower a lot of people think that hey if you have to throw long you have to be really strong and powerful but if i have to choose between power and flexibility i'll choose flexibility every day because the more flexible you are for example in the shoulder joints the longer workway you can have, also, and the longer workway you you can have, the more power you can put on the ball. So, I, many of the long throwers, they are actually pretty flexible people. Who are, of course, they can still still be explosive. And so, well, if you're looking at Joe Gomez from Liverpool FC, he's not a big guy. Of course, he's explosive, and so, but he's really flexible. You can also see that. That Andreas Paulsen from SV Midtjylland, who who like improved these almost fourteen meters, also really flexible. So I'll say all all types of players can improve their throw-ins a lot. But if we are looking at the players who are really coming to world class length, like like plus thirty four meters, then then they'll often be really flexible. They don't have to be tall, of course. Some of them can be tall. I had a guy from Horsens in Denmark who. Miguel Chris, well, who was two meters and three, but, but, but you can also be one meter, meter and 80 and, or one meter and, and 75 and still have a very long throw. In. So, so, but I think that, that, that flexibility is the most uh, important physical aspect when you want to throw long.
0: And I've seen some clips of you, Thomas, coaching with a weighted medicine ball. For training, is the main purpose of that to improve strength?
1: It, it, yeah, it, it, you can you can say it's a really specific strength exercise, and uh, so so it, it can be really good to do this. But it's also just important to say that that if you want to do this kind of training, it's also important to do it with the right technique. Because first of all, if you are doing a lot of med- medicine ball throwing with a bad technique, first of all, you will probably you know relearn the bad technique so it's perhaps even worse and then if you're throwing with a bad technique that the risk of injuries are bigger and and i'll say with a normal throwing there's a really small risk of, of getting injured i'll say that it's uh, way less risk of getting injured with my throwing coaching than compared to normal football training but when you're if you're then like taking a medicine ball who's much heavier than a football then then you're putting uh, increased pressure on the body and then if you're having a bad technique at the same time so I think yeah you, it's, it's a good thing to to use medicine ball as a, as a physical training for long throwings because it's also not like building a lot of muscles but it's more like specific strength then it can be good but remember to have a really good technique if I use a medicine it, uh, bowl, I would end up in hospital. I can guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's also, yeah, perhaps. But it's also because sometimes we see videos of people who are really working, and you know we have to say, "Oh, you have to work hard. You have to give it all." And 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 we really like like celebrating people who are working hard. But uh, but I think, of course, we still have to do that. But instead, we should also start celebrating by people having a fantastic technique because. A lot of people who are working hard they're either working the wrong way and getting injured or working too much and still getting injured or overloaded so it's really like like i think technique is is the most one of the no i'll say the most important thing if you look at, at physical achievements it's also let's go into other sports often i see like people are running 10 kilometers are half marathons and they're just really proud of that oh this week i ran 150 kilometers in my training week but i can just see that they're running with so so bad technique so instead of instead of running 150 kilometers per week why not work with your technique run uh, run uh, uh, 90 kilometers instead and be much more efficient so i think that that Technique and efficiency is really underrated in in uh, not only in football but in life in general. So
2: with your throwing, you've obviously got your throwing taker, but then they need to throw it to someone. So how much do you work with players' position to actually receive the ball? Is it always like looking at players' feet? Are they what's your kind of philosophy on that side? I think? Yeah,
1: I, I, I'm actually using perhaps 90 percent of my coaching on what I'm calling the fast and clever throw-ins. And I'll I'll first say that that with the long throwing coaching, it's not only for teams who are like using the long throw as a set piece weapon because it's important for all teams because the longer throwing you have, the greater throw area you have. And the greater throw area you have, the more options you have on the pitch too. And you can also say the opposite if you're having a short throw-in like Andy Robertson from Liverpool, who only, who'd only throw 19 meters before I started with him. Um then it's really easy to put you under pressure, but, but Andy Robertson, he, he, he uh, improved to 27 meters and improved his throwing error with more than 500 square meters. So <clears throat> it's really important for all teams that the players are throwing as far as possible. Um, but, but go back to, again to a question, I'm coaching, you know, all the players on the team normally, and if we are going to the, to the fast throwing, the second part of my throwing philosophy, Then it's all about uh, marking the opponents fast when uh, when they have a throw-in, and that's a team thing because if it's only three out of five people who are marking, it's really to really easy to find like the the free player there. So fast throw-ins and the marking there of the opponents. It's really about uh, when to pressure. uh, How are you pressing hundred percent, or are you pressing on weakness uh, shown by the opponents? Are we pressuring? man man do we mark zonal do we use a sandwich Do we use a flexible sandwich so that's a team thing and i'm doing that in team exercises another part of the fast throwing is also uh to throw the ball fast when you have a throwing should you do it all the time then no it's um sometimes it's the worst thing if you're throwing it fast because if you're throwing it into a pressure zone it's really bad so I'm learning players when to throw fast and when to have patience. It's also team drills. So, uh, And then the last final thing in the fast throwing, that's counter-attack throw-ins. You, know, you can't be offside in a throw-in, so in some occasions you can use that. And all these things, I'm learning that in in, in team basis. So I'm, so I'm often coaching bigger groups or or the whole team. And then if I have to go into the, the third part of my throw-in philosophy, uh, the clever throw-in, here I'm working with three different zones on the pitch. That's the zone at your own penalty area, the middle zone, and the, the attacking third. And I'm having 40 to 50 different throw-in tools, like like 12, 15 tools in in, in each zone. And it's not like an American uh, American football playbook where we're only doing one thing. No, I'm I'm like first of all racing the, the the players throwing intelligence by doing all the basic things like space creation throwing faster patience and precision and everything then i'm putting on the tools and after that i'm i'm also using the individual throw-in superpowers because some players are good at with the first touch some players are good at protecting the ball some players are good at uh, you know running fast some players are good at creating space for the other teammates and then on top of everything i'm, I'm having the players are using their own creativity, fantasy, ideas. So if you're looking at Liverpool, for example, instead of only 40 to 50 tools, we have, in theory, millions of options. So that's also the reason why it's much more dangerous than a playbook, because you don't know what we'll do. And again, all these things with the with the clever throw-ins too, that's also uh, trained in, in in team training. <clears throat> and for example, I could be training uh, a four against four with a thrower or a secret thrower, uh for 90 minutes that could be about be about the fast throwing and space creation and then after 20 minutes um i may take uh, nine new players so only all all, know that's 18 players it could also be a five versus five on a narrow pitch with the. With, uh, with big goals and the narrow is because then we have a lot of throw-ins. Then I'm working with the throw-in tools, different options. And then we're playing two minutes. And after two minutes, there are two new, uh, two times five teams who are coming in. So all in all, that's 22 players. Could also be 11 versus 11 on a big pitch, full match intensity, then doing five throw-ins in each of the three zones. So, So, again, back to your question, most of the time I'm working with with all the players uh, or bigger groups. So uh, it's only a short um, short amount of time where I'm working with, with uh, specific long-throwing uh, coaching.
0: How do you actually <clears throat> break down and go about coaching the decision-making process? For example, do you have a simple rule uh, when to use an attacking throw Versus when to use a throw-in purely to keep possession to restart the game, are are there simple rules around that in the toolbox? Um, You look for indicators. You know, if you've got a one-on-one situation that instantly leads you to make the player make the decision process to to attack with a throw.
1: No, it's more the the players are taking their own decisions, Um, and they're taking their own decisions uh, because of all, as I mentioned before, the basic training, the tools. different individual uh, throw in superpowers so um and so it, we c- the players can never take the perfect decisions because sometimes there'll be created space uh, you know for backward pass and then we keep possession and control it goes to the to the back four <clears throat> sometimes we make a shift to the other side sometimes we create space near the uh, your bone's penalty area. Uh, and 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 the strength here is that that uh we have a lot of different options. And it's a little bit when you have let's say it's a six or eight who has the ball on the feet in the middle of the pitch, like just playing there. And you, <clears throat> you can't really say that that oh we are I'm we're only going after this pass. But but the uh, a world-class sixer or eighter, he, know that, he knows that <clears throat> he can pass in the middle <clears throat> in several uh, ways. He can pass to both sides, sometimes back to the central defense if he's pressured. And because of his playing intelligence, he, he tries to, to take the best decision. And it's the same with the throw-ins and my coaching is that I'm raising the players, throwing intelligence, so they're taking the best decisions. And of course, like everything else in in football uh, sometimes you can take a decision and even though it's good you can afterwards think oh he should have been throwing in that (laughs) space but but i i try to make sure that the players are taking the best decisions themselves so again to 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 if we're looking at at a playbook in american football uh, they can be really effective too but they're only doing one thing And and then if it doesn't really work, it's like okay, we just try to (laughs) to to let the quarterback lay down. So, but I think the strength by by having millions of of options in theory is is that it's it's much more dangerous. I also think that the thing with the 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 individual throw-in superpower is really important. If you're looking at let's say we have if you're looking at a basketball match, we have a throw-in there. I know it's a much smaller pitch. But what what are you normally doing in 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 a basketball match? You're not letting the two meters and twenty center receive the ball because he has he has very big hands, <laughs> and and sometimes he really fumbles the ball. You you don't want want him to have it unless he have a lot of space. But we're going after the playmaker, so we try to create space for the playmaker. It's the same in it's the same in in football. If we want to like create a big box. Uh, we want to create the big box for a guy who's really good at protecting the ball, so he can make like take it himself or make a side pass. Or so, if we want to have a guy who makes a return pass, um, we want to we want to go after that guy who has a really good first touch. Of course, I know all football players have decent technique, but why not pick the best? Also, if we're making a counter attack throw-in, I know you can't necessarily plan a counter attack throw-in, but that's often it's really useful to use the guys who are really fast because yeah you know they have an advantage so so it's all about racing racing um the players throwing intelligence um and 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 i think that one of one of the i think the the big uh, you know mistakes people have made or thoughts that they've made about, about throwing coaching is that some Some analysis people are looking at Liverpool's uh, throw-ins and, for example, the winners against Tottenham or the winners against uh, Wolves this season that was after throwing. And some analysis people have been saying, okay, then the Liverpool player ran there and then one ran there and one ran there and one ran there. (laughs) Yeah,
0: trying to work it out.
1: Yeah, and if you're doing the same like Liverpool did here. You can have the same success that's totally wrong because we didn't plan that that uh, seven or five players would r- run this direction, but we try to create create space with different tools, so and it's a little bit the same like let's say Barcelona and Messi Messi is not planning, and Barcelona is not playing like passing there 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 there, and then we are scoring, and if we're doing the same, no, they can do that because they made a lot of rundos and so so so, for me, it's like like if you want to be able to do the same things like Liverpool, you have to do all the basic things, learn them all the tools, and then the individual stuff, and then you can after that they they can like do the magic there so um so yeah, yeah
2: and would and would you say with the with the throws' like a case of the players not switching off, kind of they're always actively looking to get that throw in quick to get those counter throws.
1: Uh, yeah, that, it's really important that you're that you're really switching on, um, and I think that's also one some of the one of the difference I make when I'm coming to the clubs, and and actually that was what uh, Andy Robertson and Robo said already a month after I came to the club. He uh, it was before a press conference uh, at the Scottish national match, uh, and he said uh, one of the big differences that we are every time we have a throw in we are switched on not only our own throw-in, but also the opponent's throw-in. And you know, yeah, you've all been playing football yourself, I've been playing football myself, but sometimes you really need a rest as a football player, and often the throw-ins can give you a rest. So, but why not Why not either make your movement, if it's your own throw-in, uh, or if the opponent's have a throw-in, why not mark and communicate before you take the rest? Because it's much better, <clears throat> To have the ball instead of running after the opponent's ball, so so being being really focused and being switched on is 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 one of the positive side effects by uh, working with the throw-ins and having my coaching. So so, but but it's also important to say that it's not only to be switched on. You also have to know what to be switched on to and what to focus on. Um, because yeah, of course it's better to be switched on than not to be switched on. But it's also, you know, communication and and teamwork. No matter if it's the opponents or yourself who has to throw in, it's it, it's really really important. To I think that that one of the main success factors in, for example, I'm coaching many other teams than Liverpool, like Ajax and United and so. But in Liverpool, I'll say that what we're really doing good is is it's not about i have to get the ball at a throw in but it's we have to get the ball so um, if you want to create space there has to be players who are, who are uh, creating space for the teammates often you have to make a run that's that's not intended to you're having the ball but creating space for for your teammates somewhere on the pitch so uh, yeah
0: Thomas, um, there are obviously you watched loads and loads of video of football back. Are there any players, maybe that you've coached or not coached, that you really appreciate the technique of that would be good for us to look in, look at, look into?
1: The throwing technique. Um, I'll say that. I look at Liverpool's games. It's 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 <laughs> it's fantastic I know it's <laughs> objective because I'm coaching them but I think they're really fantastic in many ways. And I think that the two best fullbacks in the world with the throw-ins are, are Robo and Trent. So, um, yeah, I, I think that the people should, should look into them. For example, let's say Trent, um, a lot of people are thinking, hey, why is Trent taking so long time sometimes with his throw-ins? But it's not because he don't know anything about throw-ins. It's because he's, he's waiting for the right space to be created. And, of course, you never know 100% what is the right space. Sometimes you have to take a decision. But he's, he's waiting on the right space. You know the big difference from, from if you have a world-class throwing taker who has been working with the long, fast, and clever throwing philosophy, when he's waiting, he's waiting for the right space to be graded. If you're looking at most other football players, most other food, uh, fullbacks in the world, um, if you're seeing a fullback who's waiting, he's getting more and more and more uh, stressed out because there are no options. The players, his teammates are not moving and then he suddenly, all, most of the time, he's taking a bad decision <laughs> because there's no space being created. So mm-hmm. so, and I think that, that's really like, you know, in, in in most games in Liverpool, we are 20, 30, 40% better at throw-ins under pressure than our, our opponents. and. And the remarkable thing is that even almost two years after my work in Liverpool was like uh, leaked in the media, uh, there's really still low, low quality on the throw-ins or <coughs> in in the um, professional leagues. I saw a match here like one and a half week ago, uh, Dortmund against Bayern Munich, and it was really shocking for me to see how many times. The players were putting uh, each other in high-pressure situations. That was totally unnecessary. So for me, it was really clear to see that the players from Dortmund and Bayern didn't have the basic knowledge around what is a good throw-in. How can I? Can we create space? So, so you know, I think it's only until I'm I'm publishing my book about my throw-ins mm-hmm. and my courses that that my knowledge really comes around. Because still, I think that 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 the level of throw-ins are are really, really low in, in pro football. And it's it's probably even lower in, in amateur and, and, and youth football. Absolutely. Yeah, so I look forward to, to publish my book in the future and, and, and help people.
0: Can you just say, what was it like getting that call, Thomas, for you when the phone rings and, and it's Liverpool on the end of the phone?
1: Yeah, it was actually a crazy situation because I've been been visiting a chocolate shop together with my family and and yeah there was a before we went to the chocolate shop there was a call on my telephone i hadn't heard it so i could see it was plus 44 number and um I just listened to the voicemail. And then it was Jürgen Klopp from, from Liverpool FC. And, and I've been always having a great dream of, of, of coaching in the Premier League and also, of course, a big team like Liverpool. So I tried to call him back, but he didn't answer. So, um, yeah, after the visit to the <laughs> chocolate shop with my family, I thought, hey, better ride, ride home to, to, my, yeah, to my own home to take the most important call in my life. So I was driving the car. My wife sitting beside me, the kids in the back. And then suddenly the phone rang. And then my wife was picking the phone up, and she said, "It's Jurgen." And then I just took, I just took the car and drove directly to the right and into the grass field, and uh, I took the phone. <laughs> it was uh, it was Jurgen. It was Jurgen Klopp. It was amazing. And and he said to me, "Hey, uh, we had a fantastic season in the 2017-18 season with the fourth place in the Premier League and Champions League final, but we lost the ball almost every time we had a throw-in and." It was really bad and and I tried to do something about it, we tried to do something about it, but it didn't work. So he'd been reading an article about me in the German newspaper, built, and uh, yeah, he said to me, uh, Hey, wouldn't you like to come to to Melwood the week after the the Liverpool training ground for a meeting? And of course I said, yes, it was uh, just totally fantastic. And it should only been a meeting in the first place. Uh, but but your club was so convinced that that already the day after the meeting I had the chance to coach twenty one of the Premier League players all the players who weren't injured or at vacation after the World Cup so so uh, yeah it was a fantastic experience and already a few days after I signed a contract with Liverpool FC and and yeah uh, now I've been I've been with Liverpool FC for. Um, two seasons now uh, and I think it's been two okay seasons with uh, <laughs> with the uh, Champions League uh, <laughs> victory and I think it looks okay with the Premier League uh, this season too so it's for me it's been like a, an adventure it's been like a it's been like a dream and, and sometimes you know especially the like like first fourteen days after I visited Melwood it was messing my brain up. I don't know if you know like like the thing you're you're dreaming something fantastic at night and then you're waking up and you're thinking you're rich or or something else or you can fly or something like that. Then you're suddenly realizing that that it was only a dream i had the same thing like the first 14 days i was dreaming that i was coaching liverpool fc in the thrones and then i was thinking <laughs> on, and then I, I i thought hey it's only a dream and then i was realizing it was real it was like totally you know but but <laughs> yeah. but but it's still like so a dream for me it's been like you know of course sometimes it's just daily life but every day i'm thinking hey it, it's crazy. It's crazy to coaching Liverpool FC and not only Liverpool, also like Ajax in Holland and you know, MLS Atlanta United traveling all around the world. So, you know, my of course, I yeah, I had a fantastic uh life before 2018 July there. Uh, still doing a lot of fantastic things, been doing a lot of talks and so around the world, but but. But yeah, everything has exploded since since Jurgen Klopp called me. So I'm I'm really I'm really proud to to work for this club. Uh, my, my my contract is actually uh, you know it's only going to the the thirtieth uh, of, of of June here this season. Let's so let's see what what happened next season. I don't really know now. But but no matter what these two seasons have been like. Like a dream for me, like a fairy tale. So yeah, it's fantastic.
0: That's an incredible story.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what's it like working working with Jurgen Klopp? Oh, it's just good. Yeah, and and it's and it's even better that you than you might think because of course when you see Jurgen Klopp in media, of course you realize he's one of the world best managers. Uh, you also realize he's he's a funny guy. He's a kind, friendly guy. But he's also, you know, there's much more to Jurgen Klopp than than when you what you just see because he's all, also a really good listener and and Jurgen Klopp could easily have been saying to me, hey, we I did some things with the throw-ins, can you do almost the same but just tweak it a little bit? No, he just was totally open-minded. He he listened. So you know, I've been having a, a totally free role in in Liverpool. Of course, I'm communicating with the players, the staff, Jurgen himself, the assistant coaches, and, and and analysis people and everything. So, but he's really open-minded. He's he's really a good listener. So I think that's one of the things I really appreciate by him. And I think that 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 the world would be better if we could listen more because we always have a lot of things to tell each other. But can we just wait these 10 seconds or two minutes and let the, the, the other person talk a little bit more? And so, so that's one of the things I really appreciate by, by working together with, uh, with Jurgen Klopp. He's a, he's a fantastic man.
2: Who would you say is, is the best thrower? At like all round, not necessarily got the longest. Oh, actually, we're at two questions. Okay, who's got the longest throw at Liverpool? And who would you say is the best thrower, technically?
1: I'll say that 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 first of all the longest throw-in that's uh, that's Joe Gomez. He uh, <clears throat> even though we're not really using the long throw-in as a set piece mm-hmm. weapon in Liverpool, it's really long. I can remember. I was coaching him the first time in in end of July 2018 in a training camp in Evian, and he's been doing the technical training and everything. And um, then I had to do the like like the last test in the end of the training. I was measuring everyone, video analysis and so. <clears throat> and then it was Joe Gomez, and I was standing around the first post because if the players were th- throwing a little bit shorter, then I could run and see the mark. And if if they were throwing a little bit longer, n- not many players are, then um, then I could run there. Uh, but then when when. Joe Gomez had his throw, then I could just see it was just catapulted like, and I just ran, and then it landed around the the last post, and it came like a rocket, So, and he was throwing um, 37.20, so that's really like, I normally say if you can throw around 34 meters, that's in normal wind conditions, that's the first post. Uh, in the air in a match, of course, when it lands, it's longer. But the first post in the air, so so twenty, sorry, thirty-seven, twenty. That's around the penalty spot in the air in a match in normal wind conditions. And we also saw in in the national match between um, between England and Croatia in November eighteen that he like assisted the one-one goal, and it was all also with a long but also very hard throwing. So if you, we look at the longest throwing, it's it's Joe Gomez. If we look at the best throwings, then I'll take take um, Robo and Trent. They they really developed into world class throwers all in all, with precision, with seeing uh, free space created when when have the feeling of throwing fast and when to have patience and wait. And I'll say that and Robertson improved right like really fast, like in a month from being like really normal. Or bad at throwings, being world class. And Trent took a little bit more time. I think he had like had to use like six months or so to came to the to come to the same world class level as as Robo. So, and I know I'm very subjective now, but but I really feel that that Robo and Trent are the best two throwers, not only in Liverpool but also in the world at the moment. So. Um,
0: um, Thomas, what's a single piece of advice that you would give to anyone taking a throw-in? If you could wrap it up into one piece of advice, what would you say the single most important thing is to consider when you're when you're about to take a throw-in?
1: I'll say I'll take I'll take two things. And and first of all, I'll say that if you're an amateur coach, youth coach, or yeah, uh pro coach also, or, coach, or your coaching kids, I'll start with the throwing position in short and middle distance to the feet because there are so much loss of possession because of unprecise throw-ins. And I'll be giving in a short while for, for my subscribers on my newsletters. You can find that on thomasgrunemach.com. I'll give some, uh, some f- four free videos that can help, help all coaches. But it's just so important to throw to the feet in most situations. Often the ball is coming to To the knees or to the hip or to the chest or to the head when it has to go to the feet and then you'll probably have a bad first touch or you'll lose the ball directly or your return pass or your pass into the pitch that'll be a much lower quality so so even though it seems like a like a small exercise or it's only for kids it's really important i meet a lot of pro players who can't throw precise to the feet Uh, And then I'm asking the the coaches or the managers, have you been doing this in training all the players? No, they haven't done it, but we expect that players can be able to do that. Then I'm asking the coaches in the academy, how how much precision work do you do with the throw-ins? Nothing at all, but we expect to do it. Then I ask longer down, and then no one is doing it. So we're expecting that football players can throw precise to the feet with a throw-in. Or receiver throw in, uh, but if you're not training, it, uh, you're not so you you can't really do it. So so that that's like the first piece at, uh, of advice. And again, go to my homepage ThomasGronmark.com. I'll be giving shortly high quality training videos for that. And then my second is, is advice is to create space between the players. Often the players are just standing still or only moving one or two meters. If you're only moving one or two meters, you're not creating space not only not for yourself but also not for your teammate so instead of just throwing the ball down the line because most teams are doing that that that's the worst thing you can do because it's just a duel, <laughs> and you lose most of them uh try to let your players create space by running 10 15 20 30 meters and then try to let your full uh Fullback or the player who's throwing it uh, throw into that free space, and then I'll say have patience because if I have to choose between losing a ball after a long long throw in down the line or losing the ball after we try to create space, then I'll choose the last thing because I think that it gives much better football to try to create that space instead of just throwing it down to a duel. So I think if you you try to do that as a coach with your team, no matter if it's youth players, amateur players then you just have to have patience. Uh, try to salute your players by saying, hey, that was a- you create a fantastic space, but the throwing was a little unprecise, or try to have a little bit more patience before you throw next time, or try to create another space or take it in training. So, because it's a new thing for all football players, You know, when I'm starting with pro football players, they're starting totally from scratch. Uh, It's like having a blank piece of paper. So that'll be the same if you're coaching amateur and youth teams too. So have patience, let your players uh, create space. So back again to wrap it all up, short and middle distance, throwing precision to the feet and creating space between the players, two uh, most important things.
3: Superman's rant. Foul throw ref. Come on. We've all heard that famous scream when a slightly ugly looking throwing results in a cry of foul throw. Now, realistically, I wouldn't be happily married if everything ugly was deemed unworthy. But do they have a point? Not about me being ugly in about foul throws. Sometimes I think they do have a point, particularly at the top level. The Lord seems to get a swift blind eye by officials, is Law 15, the throwing. So many times I've watched top-level footballers literally drop the ball out of their hands in front of them with no sign of their hands going anywhere near the back of their heads. However, usually nobody sort of appeals or seems remotely bothered. Yet at grassroots, as a referee, it is literally the end of the world to some players. Is it a case of referees and assistants saying, come on, there's more important things, let's crack on with it, or have they been lazy and not picking it up? I think in live games I've watched in the last 10, 15 years, I've seen less than 10 foul throws given. I also notice often throws are not taken anywhere near where the ball went off the field of play, even sometimes in a different half of the field. So maybe, if it's not such a big deal, does Law 15 need amending so we can all get on with our throw-ins and so that grassroots officials like myself aren't screaming foul
1: throw in their sleep? Over to you, chaps.
0: Your thoughts on this, Thomas?
1: Yeah, I think it's a really important matter. And that's also, you know, when I'm when I'm coaching my long fast and um, clever throw in philosophy, it's built up with the very, very first thing is the basics and i have three different basic things i'm coaching it's like i mentioned before the precision to the feet then it's the general <clears throat> space creation and then it's to follow the rules and you'll actually think that follow the rules is that important first of all i think you should follow the rules i don't think we have to measure like in millimeters for example when you mentioned that players are taking some meters you know i, I i'm not encouraging my players to to take a lot of meters but if if a player is taking like three or four meters, then I think it's okay if it's a part of a running. I think it's That's up to amazing. the referee to say if it's too little, too much. I also, if I see a match, I also think that like ten or fifteen meters is way too much. Then the referee have to do something. But but I think that if you are seeing like big technical mistakes, like like a player having is not taking the ball behind the head. Um, of course, you have to blow the whistle. If a player is lifting the last foot, like like uh, 40 centimetres over the ground by taking the throwing, you also have to blow the whistle. I think it's it's <clears throat> it's a very few occasions where you're seeing that, at least in, in pro football, but sometimes we see players who really don't know how to take it in general. I think the biggest challenge here is, is a little bit the same with the precision and space grading, that it's not trained Um the coaches are not taking the time to learn the players to do it, to do it properly, and that's also what, what I'm covering in, in my book too, in my future book. And, uh, <clears throat> but I think there's a much bigger problem here, that I'm talking with a lot, of, a lot of players who were, as when they were kids or youth players, they were afraid to take the throw-ins because they were really bad or doing it wrong. I actually talked with, it was a couple of years ago, with a journalist who I, I also coached him like for fun, like for the article. Um, but he told me that he was really bad at the throw-ins. And every time he had to take a throw-in, because he couldn't say, I won't take the throw-in. Every time he he he, um, he had to take the throw-in, he was afraid of doing it wrong. So he was really nervous. And think about how many Boys and girls who are afraid of doing throw-ins wrong because they don't know how to do it or haven't been taught it. So I think that's the biggest challenge. We, of course, we can sometimes laugh of of pros who are like really bad, and so of course they should be better. But I think the biggest problem here, a challenge here, is that that we have a lot of kids who are afraid of of uh, of doing the throw-ins because because um, they haven't learned it. And imagine to so being a fullback, there are known between 40 and 60 throw-ins. In a match, imagine to be that fullback who has to take 20 throw-ins or even more in a match, and every time you are afraid of, of doing it, how is that affecting not only, uh, you know, the general football skills of the, this players and the team, but also the life of the player? <laughs> it's not funny to be afraid. So I think it, it goes all the way back to, to the coaches. Um, First of all, it should take a little bit of time of learning the players, but also the coaches, of course, are missing the tools. How should we do it? One one example from me is that what I see often with kids and youth players is that some players are, are lifting the last foot when they have to do a throw-in. And if you ask me, if I was a referee, if there was a kid who was lifting the last foot like three centimeters over the ground, then it's, I didn't really bother because that that should be relearned. Just continue to play. But if a, if, a, if a kid is lifting the last foot like half a meter, you can't really ignore it because it's so... But one of the yeah. things I'm learning kids or youth players when I'm coaching them, also pros if they can, is like in a, just a pretty normal throwing, uh, is to to glide the last foot or slide the last foot over the ground because then you can... Then you can have foot contact with both feet all the time, and and that's a little small drill and exercise that that every coach should learn their youth players because then we'll never again see a kid who's been been really embarrassed by giving the throw in to the other team because of a, a technical failure. So mm-hmm. so I think it, it all comes down to. To lack of knowledge and drills for the coaches uh, so 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 yeah it, it's a challenge in football what what you mentioned uh, earlier um, but but um I think it, it it's really possible to to change
3: It's a great thing you say there about kids thomas um because when I've done youth games if if a child has done a foul throw sort of under twelves under thirteens, I will say have another go i would rather them have another go and not feel that pressure of making a mistake.
1: Yeah. And I think that's just fantastic. And I think that that sometimes if you're looking at referees who are like, of course, if it's pro referees who are being like really legends, it's it's the referees who have, have these human skills. And uh, so I really appreciate that, that you're doing that sometimes because then then we are... You know, we we're taking human part into to football, and I really love that. Is if I was a coach, I wouldn't bother that the other team had a new throw-in because it was uh, difficult for the other players. So it's a little bit like like. Um, of course, we want to have the ball, have possession, but it's we won't have possession on that way. So I think if you're doing that as a referee, it's, it's just a fantastic way to do it. And then then I think it's up to it's up to the to the coach to make some guidance. Wait, what did you do wrong? And so, oh, you 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 had you lift your last leg, or you didn't pull the ball behind your head, or, or you stood backwards throwing the ball. I have never seen that before, but that's also a football rule. You can't. You have to have. You have to front the pitch to throw. So, um, but I think it's fantastic. A fa- fantastic approach you have. Thank you, Thomas. More, more try. I, I really, I really love that. Yeah.
2: Couple of questions. So first up, we've got Ronaldo or Messi.
1: I'll say uh, Michael Laudrup from Denmark. He had a fantastic technique. So I won't really pick. I won't really pick Messi or Ronaldo because because I'm, I'm perhaps coaching them in the future. So I won't really. Ooh, want to very
0: pick. good point. That yeah. That that's a great answer.
2: Well, that that takes away the next question because the next question is favorite player of all time. Okay, so I, I'll
1: take Michael Michael Laudrup again. I don't know if you know him, but he <laughs> yeah. played for. Fantastic
0: player,
1: we do. He played like art. He was not the fastest guy. He didn't have like 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 forty goals in a season and and forty assists. But he he was so important. And him playing was like art. He, like he's like it was. I still love watching him play. You know when I see old games and so so that that's my favorite player of all was, time.
3: Was he better than Brian Laudrup then?
1: Yeah, you know his bro- brother was like other kind of player. A he fantastic was really player, yeah, cool. Rangers. Yeah, he was also faster than Michael. But, you know, uh, Brian Laudrup still played in a very, very high level. But I think he he, he got even more out of his talent, Michael Laudrup. So, um, yeah. But both fantastic players, yeah. The,
2: the best game you've ever watched live. And then the best game you've ever played in.
1: Oh, yeah. The best game I ever played in myself. Uh, oh, let's see. Uh <laughs> I can't really re- I can't really re- I can remember the worst game I played in and it, was a game, it <laughs> we'll take that it, it, it was against uh, my good friend uh, Brian he was the goalkeeper and it was the the, the rival club and I was having like like uh, I was the striker and have I was alone with the goalkeeper he was the goalkeeper seven times. And he saved them all, yeah, because I was really fast. and so that was really complex. We are laughing much about that. Um, the best live game I've seen. Uh, I really wished i had been on Anfield uh, with the game against Barcelona 4-0, but I but I actually watched. I was there. All fantastic! I was there for that. Yeah, I actually watched it at home. I have been been uh, to Anfield several times uh, the last couple of seasons, so. But I wish I'd seen that because that was really like I, if I have to say the best game ever i've seen uh if we're only taking also taking tele in, in consideration that's that's it was like it was like magic and you can see on the you can see on the Barca players uh one 0 down when you're seeing the the videos from the dressing room one 0 down at half it was still an okay wrestle you know <laughs> for them. But like, they were like, like the atmosphere and so it was like, oh. it was almost, the game was like a movie. If you had, have to make a script for a movie, yeah. then it was like this. It was, yeah, it's hard to, to, to describe with words how fantastic that match was. So, uh, yeah, So
3: I, I would have put my house on you saying the Euro 92
1: final when Denmark beat oh. Germany. Yeah, that was also fantastic. Fantastic two in against. It was like crazy. It was because we haven't, as you may know, even qualified for the Euro. Yugoslavia actually, were thrown out, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, and and actually all the all the players were at vacation, sitting at the swimming pool. Uh, I think drinking beers, and <laughs> you you know you did that at that time, and then you just called in from directly from your vacation. So so it was like it was a crazy. Perhaps one of the most surprising victories in in in, in history. So yeah. so yeah, that was fantastic too. But uh, yeah. I'll I'll pick uh, Liverpool, Barcelona. So your first
2: football kit you ever owned?
1: <laughs> I haven't really uh, owned any football kits. It's not like I've been, you know, collecting football kits. But since I've been like coaching the big teams i've been like collecting kids from from uh from from liverpool and ix and the big teams more like a souvenir so uh, but before that i haven't really really done it so um yeah but i have a kid with with also with jurgen clubs autograph and so um he, he, that stops everything yeah he, ha- he, 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 he hasn't asked for mine yet so <laughs> it, will come. Still time. it will come, I'm sure. Still time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah.
2: Finally, who's the best coach that has inspired you and
1: why? I think that, again, I'll say that I won't really take some of the coaches at the moment, also, respect of of the coaches I'm working for. But if I have to pick one back in time, I think it was Johan Cruyff. Both because he was a fantastic uh, manager coach, he's been influencing the football since then, but he actually also thought about the throw-ins too, a little bit, not the same way as I did but or do. Um, but he actually also thought about the throw-ins. Uh, I think he said one time that that um, he, he would o- often take the throw-in because he was often then free for return pass and then he could orchestra the game from there. So he had some th- thoughts about the throw in too. So I'll pick uh, Johan Cruyff.
0: Such a great answer, really? Thomas. All that leaves us to say is tack.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely welcome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good. It, you understood. The only Danish that I know.
1: <laughs> yeah. F- fantastic. Fantastic. I really appreciate that. And yeah, that's the Danish, Danish word for thanks. So, um, so I really appreciate that. Fantastic, fantastic.
0: And honestly, for giving up your time, we really do appreciate it. It makes such a difference yeah. to the way that we coach and the way that we think about coaching. You truly are inspiring and giving many footballers many different angles to work from. So to give up your time is so much appreciated.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely welcome. Again, uh, of course, it's fantastic for me to, to coach the biggest teams in the world, winning Champions League and so on. But my biggest dream is to change the football, to have m- better throw in so my biggest dream is to to you know motivate and inspire coaches from all over the world also with my books and online courses in the future so i'm just happy to be able to spend um yeah an hour with you here and uh, i hope this uh, this podcast here can can really bring inspiration to many other people out there so thank you for inviting me Thomas, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for coming.
0: If we ever get the opportunity to see you work, Thomas, we'll be we'll be there. We can we can definitely assure you of that.
1: Yeah, you Let's see if that's a possibility. I'm pretty sure there'll be an option in the future. Yeah.
0: Yeah, brilliant. absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And uh, we'll keep our eyes peeled for the book, and we'll try and direct yeah. some people to your website. It's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And again, we've got uh, yeah. we're coaching on Thursday. And the focus of our session is undoubtedly going to be thrown in. So Fantastic. thank you very much for Fantastic.
1: that. Fantastic. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. If you've got any questions or you'd like to appear on the show, send us an email to pod at uk.